Brentwood Zai Bible Church, we gather each week to pursue God by studying His Word together. As we've turned the page to a new year, many are wondering what will come next and how to navigate it when it does. We invite you to tune into our series, What Now? How Tomorrow Shapes Today, as we explore the words of Jesus in Matthew 24 and 25. Together, we'll learn to look toward the future because what we believe about tomorrow defines the way we'll spend today. Let's discover God's answer to the question on everyone's mind. What now? So this week, this week I was thinking a little bit about, you know, back in the day. I think every generation does that, right? Back in the day, back in the day when I was young whippersnapper, we'd ride our bicycles till the street lights would come on and mama would say, come home for dinner, you know, we'd, Something like that, whatever. And uh, so I was talking to Gabe about this a little bit yesterday at family breakfast, and, and we're talking through back in the day. And, you know, back in the day usually leads to back in the good old days. But can I just say the good old days weren't all that good? Like, it really wasn't. Like, there was a lot from the good old days that was good. The three-second rule was fantastic, right? That was a thing that you could do, and playing outside was a good thing. But there were things not so good, like my high school car. This is my high school car. <laughs> If you don't know what you're looking at, this sweet ride is a BW Rabbit, but mine was not this nice. This is just a Google image. Mine was way more busted up than this thing. Mine had a black door on the driver's side door. It wasn't even the same color, and it was all rusted out underneath, you know, and I don't know how we got rust in Oklahoma, but I had some. I found the rust, and when you would open it up, oh, that's where the real treasure was. When you would open it up, someone took the gear shift real fast. In the old days, cars didn't always shift themselves. Sometimes... You had to step on the clutch and shift it yourself. So I had one of those, right? And it was an orange glitter. I didn't do it. Someone else did. It was an orange glitter gear shift. Now, back in the day, in the 80s and early 90s, you could drive this if you had a really sweet radio. It didn't even matter. My radio was not really sweet. My radio, my radio had a couple wires coming out of it that I would twist together, and I would hold it to my speaker that I would sit right here. I would just hold it, and I would pinch it to the little metal part, and my speaker would play. The problem was, anytime I would shift gears, my radio would stop, you know, and so I'd have to go back and forth. So I was explaining that Amy had never heard this before, so I'm telling Amy the story, and she goes, well, why didn't you just use electrical tape? And I'm like, because my road was bumpy, and so, and my radio wouldn't work when I would do that, right? And so it was better if I would just pinch it, but then that still wasn't the best. The best was... I had to have a couple gallons of water with me at all times, all times. And I never watched my speed because the car couldn't go that fast. I would watch my heat instead. And when my temperature thing would start to rise, it didn't matter where I was, highway, it didn't matter. I'd have to pull over the side of the road, pop the hood, careful with the radiator, pour the gallons of water in it, shut the hood, go on about my business. Like that's how I got around. Good old days are not all so good. Or... I was thinking about television shows. I don't remember, was it Growing Pains or Family Ties or Ada's and the, they all blend together in my brain. But one of those shows, I remember this dad. And the dad would look at his son. His son messed up, broke the rules. And he'd look at his son and say, son, before the punishment, like I'm going to ground you, take your keys or whatever, whatever the punishment was. Son, I just want you to know. And he'd be dramatic swallowing, you know. I just want you to know. This is going to hurt me way more than it's going to hurt you. And I thought to myself, that's not my dad. My dad did not say that. My dad would laugh 
as he was getting ready to punish me. He would, he would laugh and he would say, son, son, you really messed up. And just so you know, this will hurt you way more than it'll ever hurt me. This is not going to hurt me that much because you did it. You know? And I didn't like that because I didn't like the pain. I didn't like it. I wasn't getting grounded, just so you know. There was no grounding in my head. So I didn't like it, right? I did not like the pain that I knew was going to come. I didn't want any of that. I didn't want it at all. And that brings us to our big idea that we should not be surprised when suffering comes. You know what I think? I think sometimes as Christians, we think we became a follower of Jesus, so I shouldn't have any pain in my life. I shouldn't have any suffering, and yet what we're going to see in our big idea today is we shouldn't be surprised when suffering comes. Take your Bibles. Let's open up to Matthew chapter 24. Matthew chapter 24. We started this sermon series called What Now? last week. So this is week number two of the series. This is part of what's known as the Olivet Discourse. The Olivet Discourse, because Olivet, because Jesus was in the Mount of Olives whenever he uh, did this conversation discourse because it was a conversation with the disciples. So Olivet Discourse. So this conversation is from Jesus to the disciples, and he's going to talk specifically about this topic and this concept of suffering. And we're going to see that first thing Jesus is going to say is that suffering will come. Even for the believers, suffering will come. Let's start reading in verse 15. Matthew 24, verse 15. So when you see the abomination of desolation spoken of by the prophet Daniel standing in the holy place, let the reader understand. Then let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains. Let the one who is on the housetop not go down to take what is in his house. And let the one who is in the field not turn back to take his cloak. And alas, for women who are pregnant and for those who are nursing infants in those days, pray that your flight may not be in winter or on a Sabbath. For then there will be great tribulation, such as not been from the beginning of the world until now. No, and never will be. So Jesus is painting this very painful picture for what will be the fall of Jerusalem. And he uses some unique language, especially for Jesus here. He says, the abomination of desolation. Do you see that? Now, if you're new to the Bible, or if you're watching online and you're new, or you're in the overflow room, you're new to the Bible, you need to know abomination of desolation is not normal Jesus language. Like Jesus, if you go back to Matthew 5 and you look at the Sermon on the Mount, it's the first public sermon of Jesus. Jesus is going to say, blessed. Blessed are those who, blessed are those who, blessed are... And he's going to say, you've heard it said, but I'm going to tell you. And these is highly challenging but it's very much full of grace. It's very much full of compassion and very much full of love. And then we come here and we see this phrase, the abomination of desolation. Well, that's not language that he's coming up with in the moment. This is straight from the book of Daniel. You see it in Daniel chapter 8, chapter 9, chapter 11, chapter 12. An example, real fast, just so you can hear it. Daniel chapter 9, verse 27. This is 200 years before Jesus 200 years before, Daniel says, and he shall make a strong covenant with many for one week, and for half of the week, he shall put an end to sacrifice and offering. And on the wing of abominations shall come one who makes desolate until the decreed end is poured out on the desolator. Then if you skip forward to chapter 11, he says, forces from him shall appear and profane the temple and fortress and shall take away the regular burnt offering. 
And they shall set up the abomination that makes desolate. He shall seduce with flattery those who violate the covenant. But the people who know their God shall stand firm and take action. So what we see from Daniel right here are images of what would come with Antichus Epiphanes. Antichus Epiphanes went into the temple, picture the scene, went into the temple and he set up an altar to the Greek gods, to Zeus, set up this altar, which is disgusting enough in the temple. But then he brought in pigs, not kosher, brought in these pigs. He sacrificed the pigs to Zeus on this altar. Talk about disgusting. And then if that wasn't enough, he set up in the back of the temple a brothel and brought it up to a hundred prostitutes into the temple and then imprisoned the Jewish people. That's the scene that's being discussed. Sometimes I think, sometimes I think we take the word of God and we just skim right through it and we're like, yeah, yeah, history, history, and we, abomination, desolation. You know, we just skim through it. But I want to slow down. Let's make this real just for a moment. What would you, this is no temple. This is just church house, right? Just church house in Romeo. That's what we have here. This is not, you can see it from five miles away. You can see it. No one's going to miss it from miles and miles around. You can't, that, that's not where, but even right here, imagine a temple to Zeus being set up or to whatever God set up right here and pigs brought into this space. We're much more relaxed today and still Pigs brought into this space, slaughtered right here on an altar to another god. A brothel set up in the back. Prostitutes just meandering around the church doing whatever in the church. Can you imagine how grotesque that would be? So when Jesus uses this phrase, abomination of desolation, the listeners at the time would have had some strong emotion right there. They would have heard this, and it would have brought, I know it's been 200 years, but those emotions, they were strong, right? Those emotions are going to come bubbling back from when not only all of that and the people were in prison. Those emotions come back. Every generation has these moments, right? Maybe not quite this strong, but we all have that thing that when you think of, you know, back in the day, I had this painful experience. So Amy, Amy's two grandfathers, who are no longer with us, but back in the day, I heard a story from one grandfather about the Battle of the Bulge in World War II. And you could tell when he talked about being at the Battle of the Bulge, where he was wounded and barely survived, but he did survive. As he would talk about that moment, you could tell like that, that was that moment of pain for him. It was a moment of of turmoil for him, a moment where he looked at his friends and just the world wouldn't be the same. The other grandfather, it wasn't the war for him. For him, it was all about the Great Depression, going through the Depression, seeing his family and what they went through with the Depression, seeing his friends and what they went through, and it it changed the trajectory of everything. I mean, what's your moment? For you, maybe it's JFK being assassinated. Maybe it's Vietnam for you. Maybe it's 9-11 for you. For a lot of people in this room, it'll be 2020. I don't even have to say anything special. I can just say a year. And for you, there are emotions that are stirred because you've never felt isolation like that. Maybe you've never felt grief like you felt last year. Maybe you've never felt the sorrow and the frustrations like you felt last year. 
So when Jesus uses this phrase, abomination of desolation, it's stirring something in the listeners. Do you see that? It is stirring in them. And then he moves quickly through verses 17 through 20 and says, you know, flee to the mountains. Do not turn back and take your cloak. Alas, for women who are pregnant, pray, pray your flight may not be in the winter or the Sabbath. Let me explain that real fast. Verse 17, this flee to the mountains. Do you see that? Flee to because most of Judea is a countryside, all right? It's farmland. And so you've seen the movies when the tidal wave comes or when the, uh, when the, when the volcano comes, the lava is starting to spread, people go to the mountains, right? You get high ground, maybe not the volcano, whatever, but you get the point, right? You're going to high ground, right? You're getting away from the danger. You're getting distance between you and whatever it is, and you're getting distance. And you hear the urgency in how Jesus talks, there's urgency in this moment. You're not going to have time to go back and grab your backpack. You're not going to have time to grab your cloak. You're not going to have time to get a to-go suitcase pack. You don't have time for all that. You got to go. And then he says, alas, for the women who are pregnant or the women who, with infants and with children. Ladies, it takes longer, doesn't it? Right? If you're pregnant or if you've got a baby or if you've got a baby, it takes a little bit longer to get where you're going. And then Jesus says, and, you know, we're, we're going to be hopeful that this isn't in the winter or on the Sabbath. Here's why he says that. The winter, not because you're worried about snow and ice on the roads, but because the roads are going to become muddy and treacherous and hard to get through. Or the Sabbath, there's no work on the Sabbath, church. And so any town or village that they come across, the gates would be closed and locked. Like you're on your own. You can't stop. You, you can't get refreshed. You, can't, you just got to keep going. And so Jesus is setting the scene that says there's a moment coming. I don't want you to miss it. There's a moment coming, and this moment's going to change everything. This is going to be a moment, this, this abomination of desolation, those, those feelings that you're going to have, know that that is coming. This game changer moment is coming. So back in the day, back in the day, growing up in the 80s in Oklahoma, I loved football. Loved it because the Sooners, right? The Sooners were so good. Not like Alabama good, but they were pretty good. Like they were good. And they had this one guy on the team. He's a bad guy. His name was Brian Bosworth. He was known as the Boz, right? And the Boz, he was bad and he had colored stripes on his head, which looks stupid when you look at it now. You're like, why did he do that? I don't know why he did that, but he did. It was cool, and his hair was like bleach blonde, and he was, he was bad guy. And then he went to the NFL, and everybody was talking about the Boz. Like, the Boz is just going to wreck the NFL because he's, he's such a bad guy, and he's so tough, and he's just going to knock everyone. Then there was another guy who entered the NFL at the same time. His name was Bo Jackson, Bo Jackson. And so Bo Jackson, if you didn't pay attention to football or if you don't know anything about sports from back then, Bo Jackson was pretty athletic. He wasn't drafted as high as Brian Bosworth, but, but Bo was a pro baseball player and a pro football player at the same time, right? I mean, so he's super athletic, super athletic. And, and that's why no one drafted him at first because they didn't even know if he would play football. But he's like, yeah, play for the Raiders. They seem like nice guys. And so he goes to play for the Raiders. And so there's a game 
where Bo Jackson is matched up against the Boz. And it's like, ooh, here we go, right? These two superpowers, just mm, going to be good. And people are talking like, oh, I think Bo's going to be, you know, fast, not run him, and he's going to do that. And other people, no, Brian Bosworth is just going to annihilate, but it's going to be over. He's just going to pull him up. It's going to be great. And um, so it was great until... They pitched Bo Jackson the ball or threw it to him. or I don't know. Bo Jackson had the ball. And he's running around the corner. If you watch the replay on ESPN, it's just devastating because Bo Jackson is running. And here's Boz. And, and then here's Boz. And then Bo Jackson kind of runs and leaves cleat prints all over the Boz and just runs. And then the Boz is over. Like, that's it. That ended the Boz in the NFL. I don't know if he ever, I don't know what happened after that. Like, that was the end of the boss. The boss was no longer the bad guy. He was just done like that. And so everyone's looking at, at Bo Jackson now, going, Bo Jackson's the best. He'll probably be the greatest of all time. There'll probably never be a guy as good as Bo Jackson. I mean, he's just, he's an all-star in baseball. He's an all-star in football. It doesn't get better than this. And a couple seasons later, Bo was hit hard. And they thought that he had dislocated his hip. But he hadn't dislocated it. He had broken his hip on the play. And so after four seasons, Bo was done with football. That was it. After four seasons, the guy that they said might be the greatest ever, that was just it. It didn't always go that way, right? Many times, football players, they'll have an operation, they'll rehab, they'll just jump in and do it again. It's just, it's just part of it. But for every player, even for Tom Brady eventually, there, there's going to come a day that they're going to say, you don't get any more games. You don't get any more next seasons. And church, the same is true for us, isn't it? We are here because the grace of God. Today, we are here because the grace of God. There are times, right? Times where you look back at your life and you look back and you've got to think to yourself, mm, that could have gone way differently and I wouldn't be here today. But by the grace of God, you're here. And we have the opportunity to know him and to make him known. We get the opportunity to share in this moment together. Now we realize, we realize that eventually this will come to an end for all of us, right? Eventually we will stare perfection face to face in the face of Jesus. Eventually we do spend eternity for those of us who have placed our faith in Christ as our Lord and Savior. Eventually we do get to spend eternity with him. But until then, here we are, by God's grace, here we are knowing for a fact that suffering will come. Pain will come. Unfortunately, I think too often times we try to think about this life as a life that should be heaven, and it's not. This is a life where there will be suffering and there will be pain. So what do we do when that comes? Romans 5 tells us. Romans 5 said, not that we hope for it. Not that we want suffering to come, but it says we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance. Endurance produces character. Character produces hope. And hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. So church, I'm going to tell you, sometimes you might face some disappointment or anxiety or discouragement, and there might be some teachers or preachers who try to say, as a Christian, it should be impossible for you to feel discouragement or anxiety or disappointment. That's just not true. 
That is not true at all. Yet the word of God tells us what to do when we are facing that, when you are facing those sufferings, when you are facing that disappointment, we know that we rejoice in that place because it's rejoicing that leads to endurance and endurance that leads to character and character that leads us to hope. Our hope is not in what our hands can do. Our hope is not based on our own talents, our own skills, our our own work ethic. I'll just work harder. I'll be smarter. I'll do better. That's not where your hope is found. Your hope is not found in some politician. That's not where your hope is found. Your hope is found in Christ alone. That's where your hope is found. Next, we're going to see that we trust the sovereignty of God. We trust the sovereignty of God. Let's look at verse 22. Jesus says, and if those days had not been cut short, no human being would be saved. But for the sake of the elect, those days will be cut short. So Jesus is saying there there are terrible days to come. He's talking specifically about the destruction of Jerusalem this coming. This destruction will be in the year 70, A.D. 70. There in Israel was this uprising where Israel started to push back against the Romans, right? We're going to push back militarily. We're going to try to do something. We're going to try to fight them. And so Rome responded aggressively and decisively. And we're talking, they responded against men and women and children and the temple. The temple was destroyed. And for 2,000 years, there has not been the temple in Jerusalem because it was destroyed. You can go see the ruins today. They attacked the vegetation. In fact, I've heard people who have gone even today. And today, you can still see signs of the destruction against the vegetation that was there. We're talking complete and utter destruction. And Jesus has been saying, hey, there are signs. This is what you need to know. There's suffering that's going to come. Let me give you a picture of the suffering. This is the Jewish historian Josephus. He uh, wrote history for Rome from the Jewish perspective. And he said this. He said, the number of those that were carried captive during this whole war was collected to be 97,000. That's prisoners of war, 97,000. As were the number of those perished during the whole siege, 1,100,000, which means a little over 200,000 people impacted by this, either taken prisoner of war or dead. Can, Can you imagine the scene? This is just around Jerusalem. Can you imagine that scene? And Jesus is given warnings. This is what's coming I want you to know this is what's waiting up ahead. Now, you guys know me. You know I'm not like the bucket list kind of a person. I'm more of a taste and see the Lord is good guy. And so if you have a dish that you're wanting to try out on somebody, I'll guinea pig. Like, I'll do it. Like, I'll taste it. I'm all in. I'll go for it. And if you're like, there's this place. It's just stunning. It's so beautiful. There, you just, I want to see it. I want to go. I want to see all the places. I want to see them all. I want to taste it all. Like, I just want to see the Lord is good. I want to do that. But not too long ago, I did have like a wee little bucket list. Like, I had a little bucket list. And on my bucket list was, I want to know how to sell a boat. And okay, I say it funny. I'm from down south. I know S-E-L-L-S-A-L-E-S-A-I-L. To me, they're all the same word. And so you know what I'm saying, though. You know what I'm trying to say. Make the boat without the motor go with only wind power. Like, I wanted to know how to do that. The first service, they were making fun of me. And they're like, say it again. And I'm like, no, you know what I mean. So... 
Anyway, I wanted to know how to do that because in my mind, it just boggles me that the wind is blowing in my face that I can make my boat go that way without a motor. Like, how does that? And I understand people are like, Billy, it's physics. It, it actually like sucks you forward. And I'm like, okay, that makes no sense. And I can do it now. Because here's what Amy did for my birthday. So good. My birthday's in March. She got me some sailing lessons. And with a wee little boat, like a 19-foot boat, which if you're not used to sailboats, you can't spend the weekend on that. That's like a couple of hours with a couple of friends. Sailboat. Like, so she got me these lessons. Michigan in March, you can't do that. The lakes are all frozen, right? So it doesn't work. So I had to wait till the summer. So come summertime, like I did it. Like I got me some boat shoes because you need boat shoes on a boat, you know? And so I got me some of those and I sh- with my sunglasses and I showed I was so ready. And so they taught me things. They're like, well, you, you know, you need, this is port and this is starboard and this is a square knot and I'm learning all this stuff. And, you know, we don't turn, we tack and this is a jib and this is a mainsail. And I mean, I'm learning it all, y'all. Like, and I can make the boat go. And I'm like, I don't know how it works. I just know it works. I got 45 degree angles. You know, I can do it and duck when that whole thing, boom, whatever it is. Don't get whacked in the head by that. It'll hurt, you know, so I learned how to duck. And, and so I'm doing all this stuff and I'm having so much fun and I'm learning the sayings, you know, like red sky at night, sailor's delight, red sky in the morning. You guys would have loved that class. You would have been the advanced kids in there. Yeah, if you missed that, here's what everybody just said around you. They said, sailors take warning. Red sky in the morning, sailors take warning. And I'm like, wow, why do they say that? Well, I learned after having enough classes cancel because Michigan, right? So they would cancel class if conditions were not ready for sailing. And um, what they told me, I don't know if this is accurate or not. So some of you who are really into it, you can explain it later. But from what they told me is they said, if the sun is setting in the nighttime and, and it's shining and the skylight's up red, it means it's hitting the dust particles and there's high pressure. High pressure is good. It means that the storms are not like, it's just going to be good conditions. It's going to be nice conditions. If it's in the morning, that means the high pressure system's already passed and you're seeing all the moisture and water in the air. That's bad if you're on the water. You don't want lots and lots of moisture, lots of humidity, because I mean, storms are coming and that's no fun to be on the water when the storms come. And so here I am learning all these sayings and what they mean and learning that for centuries, literally for centuries, people who go on the water and spend time on the water, they had these, these signs that they pay attention to. They don't miss the signs because it matters. Jesus is saying, pay attention to the signs. Don't miss it. There's going to be adversity come your way. There's going to be suffering that's going to come your way. I don't want you to be caught off guard on this. I want you paying attention. So church, what do we do? How do we be prepared when that suffering comes? When we're feeling the anxiety, when we're feeling the, the overwhelmed feeling, when you're going through uh, the, the depression or whatever's hitting you. Well, Philippians tells us, doesn't it? Philippians 4, 6 says, do not be anxious about anything. Paul said that because we get anxious about everything, y'all. We do. We get anxious all the time. And he knew that. And so he said, I want to give you some tools on what to do when that hits. So he says, do not be anxious about anything, but in everything. By prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your request be known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus.
when those sufferings come, and I've heard so many testimonies even today, stories of my brother just found out he's going to have heart surgery. He's 34. It's happening in a couple weeks. Stories of, I love when just pass away this week. All kinds of stories just today about this. When it comes, how are you supposed to deal with it as a follower of Jesus? You get in your prayer closet and you pray to the Lord and you take all those anxieties and all those frustrations and all that battle that's going on and you trust the Lord in that space and what he provides you is a peace that's going to surpass all understanding. Lord, I don't know how, I don't know why, but I have a peace that you are God and that you're good. And maybe things will go the way I want it to. Maybe it won't go the way I want it to, but that's not even the point. I get to know you. I get to know you and I get to make you known. My encouragement, church, is pray in those places. Lord, will you let me see how you're glorified? Even in my sufferings, let me see how you're glorified. The last thing that Jesus is going to show us is to realize that Jesus' return will be unmistakable. Unmistakable. Look at verse 23. Jesus says, then, if anyone says to you, look, here's the Christ, or there he is, do not believe it. For false Christ and false prophets will arise and perform great signs and wonders so as to lead astray, if possible, even the elect. See, I've told you beforehand. So if they say to you, look, he's in the wilderness, don't go out. If they say, look, he's in the inner rooms, do not believe it. For as the lightning comes from the east and shines as far as the west, so will the coming of the Son of Man. Wherever the corpse is, there the vultures will gather. So Jesus is providing his followers with a warning. And he says there are going to be those who are going to come, and they may even do some miracles. They may even do some stuff that you can't explain. They may be real fancy talkers, right? They might be very persuasive. And then they're going to say, look over here, look over there. He's like, don't be distracted by any of that. Church, this isn't new. We can go back to the Old Testament, to the times of Moses, and we see the same message. Back in Deuteronomy 13, it says if a prophet... Or a dreamer of dreams arises among you and gives you a sign or a wonder. And the sign or wonder that he tells you comes to pass. And if he says, let us go after other gods, which you have not known, and let us serve them, you shall not listen to the words of that prophet or the dreamer of dreams. For the Lord your God is testing you to know whether you love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul. And so Jesus says, those people who come and say, you know, listen to me and follow me, or if they're saying, Let, let's pay attention over here, go worship this guy. He's like, don't listen to them. You've got to know the difference between a fraud and reality. He specifically mentions the wilderness. That reminds me of Matthew 3. Matthew 3 is where John the Baptist is called out, and they're like, is John the Messiah? And John's like, I'm not even fit to tie his sandals. Like, that's not me. I'm not the one. But from that day to this day, people have been waiting for someone who just comes out of the wilderness, just comes out of nowhere, and rescues and saves the people. Just sets us right, gets us on the right path. Or, he says, the inner rooms. Isn't it true? That's kind of the expectation today, isn't it? Someone's going to go into that inner boardroom where none of us know what's going on and they're going to come out of that inner boardroom or that uh, political room or whatever it is, that little, that financial room. They're going to come and they're going to get in front of the cameras and they're going to rescue all the people. They're really going to have the answers. No, Jesus' return, church, will be unmistakable. Did you see what he said about the return of the Son of Man? 
It's going to be like lightning in the sky. You're not going to miss it. So don't worry. I mean, I've even heard people, do you think this person could be? No, you won't miss it. Christian, you won't miss it. If you're a follower of Jesus who have placed your faith and hope in Christ, you won't miss it. When John paints the picture, he says when Jesus comes, he's going to open his mouth. It's going to be like a sword coming out of his mouth. John, the disciple Jesus left, fell face down before Jesus in that moment. You will not miss it. It will be all inspiring when Jesus returns. And yet, verse 28, we see that there will be those who are spiritually dead who they will miss it. They're totally going to miss it. And so church, my encouragement to you is don't fall for a fraud. Don't fall for the false thing. Keep your eyes open. Jesus gave us clear teaching on this. Now, when I was um, a kid, back in the day, you know, when I was a kid, my mom liked to use me as a guinea pig a lot. So when I said you can use me as a guinea pig, like it just, I've been doing it for years. So mom uh, would try to save money. And we didn't have a lot of it. And so she was always looking for ways to stretch things. And so she had signed up for me to be part of this cereal club, which I loved. Like, this was awesome. And so what they would do is they would send me boxes of cereal that had not been released yet. And so the box was ugly, but I didn't care because inside was the goodness, right? And so I would get this bowl of cereal and I would look at, again, cereal that had not been released. And she would ask me all these questions. What do you think about the color? You know, what do you think about the taste? What do you think about the milk? And so, you know, so she's asking me all these questions. And so for the first bowl, like, I'm like, well, here's what I think, you know? And um, so I'm, I'm giving all my thoughts and it was awesome. Like, it was so, so good. I loved it. But then fast forward a little bit. I remember one day I sat down at the kitchen table and mom put some scrambled eggs down there, and I took a bite, and I don't, I don't know exactly what I did with my face, but like we had rules, like you never complain about mama's cooking, like that was not allowed. You cleaned your plate, no matter what, whether you liked it or not, you cleaned, because they worked hard for that, we didn't have any, kids were starving, that whole thing, you know, and so you made a happy plate, like you ate all your food, like it was not negotiable. And so I took a bite, and I guess I made a face, not meaning to, and my mom went, you can't tell a difference. Eat it. It's good. And I was just like, mom, what's wrong with our scrambled eggs? They were not real, y'all. They were fake scrambled eggs. There's powder. And if you mix powder with water, with certain powders, you hunters probably have a thing. I bet it's way better than what we had in the mid-80s because this was, this was horrible. Like, this was not good. But I'm like, mmm, I love it, mom. It's good, you know, and and then one day, so I'm going along, I'm like, okay, I can deal with the powdered eggs. I can deal with it. Powdered eggs are not real eggs. They taste nothing like real eggs. And then so I'm, I'm sitting down, and she puts my cereal bowl in front of me. Some of you will empathize with this because you've been there. I went to take a bite of my cereal. Again, you didn't complain in my house. You just didn't do it. But I, if I remember correctly, I opened my mouth and just let everything fall right back in the bowl. <laughs> it was one of those kind of moments, and she was like, Billy Shiloh, you stop it. You can't tell the difference. Mom, what's wrong with the milk? What, is it rotten? I think it's rotten. It's powdered milk, but you can't tell. It's the same, it's the same as normal milk. You drink your milk. Yes, ma'am. Yes, ma'am. I will, I will eat this up. Mmm, it's good. Powdered milk is the worst thing. If you don't know, it is not normal milk. It is not. It is water with chalky looking. It's not... I was scarred. I was scarred. So here's the thing. I don't know if I was eight years old, if I was not. I don't know. But I can tell you as a small child, I knew the difference between a fraud and reality. 
I knew, and you know, if you've ever been there, if you've ever had the powdered milk, you know what I'm talking about, right? Here's what Jesus is saying. As his kids, we should know the difference between a fraud and the real thing. We should know. And so, church, I just kind of want to end with a bit of a challenge and a, and a question. My suspicion is most of the people I'm talking to in this room, you're, you're a Christian. You're a follower of Jesus. You've, at one point or another, said, I am surrendering to the Lordship of Christ in my life. I, I'm putting all my faith and hope and trust in Jesus as my Lord and Savior. Most in here and most online who are watching, most are going to fall into that category. And um, if that's you, I just want you to think about the pastors, because probably you listen to podcasts throughout the week. You have other sermons you listen to, other pastors you listen to. You probably read through books, right, some Christian books. You probably do some daily devotions. Who are you listening to? Who are you reading? And what are they saying? Because, my friend, there is danger if you're listening to them strictly because they're entertaining. There is danger if you're reading them and they're pointing the way to their movement or their individual or their personality and not to Christ. There's danger in that. It's not just a concern. I'm telling you, there's a danger in it. Jesus warned us against that. Red sky in the morning, right? He's warning us against that. And so I just want you to know, Woodside, all 14 campuses, no matter who it is on the teaching team, here's what you're going to hear. You're going to hear a teaching from the Old Testament where we won't back down from the Old Testament. It is useful for teaching. All Scripture is useful. The Old Testament is going to point the way to the coming Messiah, the fact that every single one of us, we need rescued all of humanity we are broken and we are in need of a rescuer of a messiah the new testament we're going to teach and we're going to teach that the messiah came and lived and he died and he lived again and it is through the power of jesus christ that you and i can have a right standing with god that's what you're going to hear taught that all of our faith our hope our trust is in him. And when we face those trials, when we face that suffering, which we will face, church, every single person in this room, you're going to face suffering in this world. As you face suffering, I want you to know that it is through Christ that you can find grace. It is through Christ that you can find rest. It is through Christ that you can find peace that surpasses all understanding. It's through Christ that we find our hope can be found in Christ. Father, we thank you. We thank you for today. We thank you for the incredible teaching of Jesus at the Mount of Olives or the way that it still challenges us today, knowing that the suffering comes, knowing that the pain comes. Lord, I pray for my brothers or sisters right now who maybe they are going through suffering right in this moment. I pray that your word is an encouragement to them today. That they understand that the hope they can have comes through the power of the Holy Spirit in their lives. I pray that even through the trials that they understand they're not alone in this. That as brothers and sisters, we surround them well. We walk with them well. We love well. God, for those in this room that maybe they're not in a trial right now, but they're going to be. That is coming. 
God, I don't know what the emotion is, the abomination of desolation for them. I don't know whether it was 2020, whether it was 9-11, whether it was some other event in their life. But I pray for these warnings just to echo in our heart today that we need to be prepared. Our foundation has to be firm. Our foundation in you, it has to be firm. And Lord, it's in that place that we find victory because we are in this world, but we are not of this world. It is in that place that we find our hope. It is in that place that we find our strength. We love you and thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Church, let's stand as we close our morning worshiping together. Thank you for joining us as we study God's word together. We would love to hear how God is moving in your heart and get you connected into the Woodside Bible Church family. Head to woodsidebible.org connect to introduce yourself to us today.